Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. Be on the lookout as well for my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, which is being published in September 2020. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at www.cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Rick Kuntz is an executive coach and organizational change consultant. He's the author of Growing Leaders, a leader builder handbook for human resource development and training professionals, business executives, and managers. And I have personally and professionally known Rick for a number of years. And we have shared some great stories about coaching and clients in the past. So I'm thrilled to have him here today. Hello, Rick. Hey, Ed. It's great to be with you. Well, it's fantastic having you, and I understand that you're back in the Massachusetts area. We are. Very gladly so, too. I had several wonderful years in Philadelphia, but glad now to be back uh, in Massachusetts. Well, welcome back to the Bay State. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. I gave everybody a, a quick intro, but maybe you could tell us a little bit more of your background and what you've been doing recently. Absolutely. Happy to do that. And you and I, of course, have worked together over the years because I lived in the Boston area at an earlier point in my career. But I've been an executive coach for about 25 years. And in that period of time, I've worked with a range of executives and managers across many different industries, from aerospace to defense to biotech, pharma, professional services, do a lot of work in banking, also work in the uh, federal sector and in the nonprofit world uh, as well. And uh, I love coaching. I find myself excited every day when I go to work and when I'm working with executives. And now in this age of Zoom, we're doing so much virtually. It's always a challenge, but always a wonderful challenge to work with people who are on that leadership journey. And if I can accompany them on that journey, happy to do so. So A little more about what I focus on as a coach. I do a lot of work with change leaders, people who are leading change in their organizations. Also work with people on issues such as emotional intelligence and executive presence. And uh, I also am happy to say I coach at two business schools. I coach at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and also at Queens University in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow, terrific. And Rick, I'm just curious for a person like yourself who has been coaching for 25 years across virtually every industry and I'm sure every level, do you find that the challenges people face regardless of industry and sometimes level are very consistent? 
Yes, I do. And we were talking a little bit before about this. I think that, and you may find this as a, a coach as well with leaders, is that I find that courageous leaders are to be found at every level in organizations, at the first level of management and in the C-suite. And one of the things that I find interesting in working with leaders who display courage is if a leader is willing to transform themselves in the job that they have, in the role that they have, facing challenges that perhaps they have not faced before, the leader who can step up to that and who's willing to transform themselves in their leadership of others or in their leadership of an organization, again, that is something I find in leaders at all levels. But to me, that's the hallmark of all leadership today. And it really gets back to that issue of how do you lead others in times of change and tumult, such as we're living through today. And that's one of the reasons I'm hosting this podcast is because I believe that we all experience moments of courage and bravery, both personally and professionally. And it might be a conversation that you need to have with a significant other. It might be with a child. It might be with a neighbor. Or it might be with a subordinate or a peer or a boss or a client or a vendor, right? There's so many interactions we have, both professionally and personally, where bravery or opportunities to be courageous pop up and yes. we either seize the moment or we don't seize the moment. And if we don't seize the moment, oftentimes we look back with regret. Definitely. Definitely. Rick, what are some words or phrases you think of when you think of bravery in the workplace? I think the way I think of it is, again, I, I define leadership bravery as the ability of an individual to become self-aware, to maybe develop greater self-awareness, perhaps to recognize that the things that have made them successful in the past aren't necessarily the things that are going to make them effective in the future. So courage is that willingness to look into the future and to think about how maybe one needs to transform oneself. Uh, how does one maybe need to think of business challenges in new ways? How does one maybe need to grow in new ways, develop new skills? And of course, the feedback process, which we use in coaching, often gives the coaches, the leaders that we work with, action items or uh, data points that they can use for charting their future professional growth. But you know, it takes courage to sometimes listen to negative feedback or to hear something from a subordinate or a significant other that maybe isn't music to your ears, but which is perhaps insightful and illuminating in terms of how it can make you a better person or a better leader. So I think a leader who is open to feedback and to transforming themselves and to growing as leaders, to me, that's the definition of leadership courage. And that's a great example to give in respect to average courage in the workplace, which is your ability to build self-awareness. And probably both of us have had clients who, upon collecting feedback from others, have a accepted it and built upon it extremely well, right? They were yes. very mature in their approach and looked to the future. And as you talked about transforming and growing, and I certainly have had a handful of people who, you know, for melodramatic purposes collapsed upon hearing, you know, yes. this feedback because they were either shocked or uh, their self-awareness was so low that they had huge gaps between how they saw themselves and how others saw them in the workplace. Yes, yes. And a person like that, and I think we all have 
worked with people like that, they can be really challenged to grow because, uh, and that's where learning agility and self-awareness really come into play as partners in the growth process. Yeah. And I think sometimes our work becomes how to help them accept the feedback, regardless of what it is, before even doing something about the feedback, right? So, hey, let's talk about how you're handling what you're hearing and then we can talk about you know what you're yes. hearing, but you know you're just not handling it really well right now. And I think that's important, right, for a growing leader, especially a senior leader who has a negative reaction to any you know quote unquote critical feedback they might get. And hopefully, we don't have to pick uh, our clients up off of the floor after they've gotten the feedback. But you know, one thing that I will often do when I'm working with a leader who's maybe going to be hearing some hard news is I I try to prepare that individual for the feedback to come or the way in which to take that feedback. And I've been amazed at how many people really can pivot and develop greater self-awareness or acknowledge that they have a blind spot and then work from there and really become a better version of themselves and bring that subsequently to their leadership of others. Yeah, I'm always curious about this area of blind spots because I also believe that nobody knows somebody better than themselves, right? That, you know, nobody knows Rick Koontz better than Rick Koontz, whether it's a significant other or a child or a friend or a parent, nobody knows you better than you. And nobody knows Ed Everts better than Ed Everts. And yet, even in that existence we have, we may still have blind spots, things that we just don't realize we're doing or don't realize the impact it's having on other people. And I think that's, in a minor way, one of the benefits of a feedback process is you might be introduced to blind spots that you're just not aware of. Yes, exactly. So you talked about self-awareness. You talked about willingness to look into the future, the ability to transform and grow. Anything else that you think about when you think about bravery in the workplace, Rick? I think about the willingness. I've, I've talked about learning agility, the ability to let go of old ideas that no longer work, the willingness to embrace new ideas and to engage others in that process, and and really the willingness to adapt one's leadership approach in working with a team or an organization. And I sometimes say to people that, you know, leadership isn't always about leading from the front of the room. Sometimes it's about leading from the side of the room or the back of the room. So what does that mean? It means the ability sometimes to put one's ego to the side and to give voice to others in a conversation or a discussion or to reinforce what others say as part of the process of group decision-making and, and really robust team decision-taking. Well, we could do a whole separate podcast just on letting go of the past, on things that <laughs> uh, aren't working any longer yeah. and recognizing that they're not working. Sometimes it requires somebody like you to come in and say, those behaviors or activities don't seem to be working as well as they did in the past, you know, to steal Marshall Goldsmith's book title, what got you here won't get you there. And it worked to get you here, but that doesn't mean it's always going to work. Right. So this might be the time to make that change. So, well, Ed, and if I can add one thing to that, I think one thing that I like to bring to discussions of leadership, courage and leadership development in general is that I think there's a kind of fanciful notion in our society today that being an authentic person means that you never change, okay? And sometimes in the political world, you hear people say, well, I, you know, my views on that have always been the same. Well, in fact, our views 
about anything need to evolve if we're to be successful and to keep up with the changing environment in which we live and work. And certainly in the case of businesses, leaders need to be able to evolve. And so the willingness to do that, as I say, sometimes it's a challenge because a subject matter expert, for example, somebody who's a master in their field, if they find themselves thrust into a new role where they have to use other skills or develop other skills to be effective, that can be a challenge. It's a threat to their previously successful sense of self. And that's often a moment of leadership courage for people is, okay, am I going to grow and deal with my new reality or am I going to rely just on what I've always done? And look, I think all of these topics regarding self-awareness, transformation, letting go of the past, you know, stepping into the shoes of a more senior leader all require moments of courage and bravery to get there. They just don't happen magically. No, no, they uh, they need the help of a good coach, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So our past participants, I can guess, Rick, have shared a story that they have experienced or a client has experienced as it pertains to bravery in the workplace. Do you have a story that you could share with us today? I do. And in fact, around this notion of self-transformation uh, and leadership, I, I worked with an executive a few years ago, really interesting guy who was in his early 40s and was a demonstrated and very successful uh, subject matter expert in his field. And he had gotten to the point in his career where he was the go-to person in his organization with regards to products and services and branding and all of that kind of thing. But he had never had the responsibility of managing more than a handful of people. I think he had never managed more than three people at any one point in time. And so he'd been in this role where he was the chief spokesperson for his department and he was the go-to guy and he had very junior level people working for him and, and they were basically being mentored by him for other roles in the organization. Well, at one point, he was offered a promotion into a role where instead of having three people working for him, he was going to have 65 people. And it was at about this time that I was introduced to him. His organization was looking for him to retain a coach because he was floundering and flailing with having to manage a group of 65 people. And I did a stakeholder analysis. I interviewed, I don't know, 15, 20 members of the team. And I came up with a set of themes. People gave me really real-time sense of how they experienced him as a leader. And people said things to me such as, well, he doesn't let anyone else speak in team meetings. And he's not very good at bringing us together. And uh, he seems to give light to what more junior members of the team say and so forth and so on. So anyway, there was a lot of rather negative, but very actionable feedback that I gathered as a result of talking to these uh, stakeholders. And so I presented him with this information and we'd had some conversations prior to this and we knew what, you know, was likely to come out of it. He had a sense that, you know, something was wrong and he didn't know exactly what it was, but I presented him with the report and we, we talked through these items and it was a real epiphany moment for him because he realized that he really needed to change his way of leadership, his approach to leading and managing other people. What had worked for him before was not going to work for him 
going forward. It was now a, a cast of 65 versus three people. And oh, by the way, he couldn't always be up there speaking to every issue all the time. And especially if he wanted to unite and engage and align a team behind him, he had to find a way to engage and involve others in substantive ways, in ways that made them feel a part of the team. And so we focused on that as sort of the presenting issue. And um, and I must say, he rose to this occasion, uh, to hearing this negative feedback. He showed a lot of courage. And he said, well, damn, geez, I didn't think it was quite that bad. But if it is, I'm going to work on that. And so over the course of the next several months, we began to unpack these findings. We came up with a development plan. We put some action steps in place. And one of the things that I introduced to him was a, uh, a model of what I call dialogic leadership. It's an approach that leaders can use to leading teams and conducting effective team or group decision-making. And the framework that I shared with him is called the four-player model. And it's quite well-known worldwide. It was developed by a guy named David Cantor out of Harvard Medical School. David and I are friends and colleagues, and we've done some work together. And essentially what this model does, the four-player model does, is it outlines four roles or four stances that a leader can take in conversation with others. So a leader in a team setting, for example, can be the mover of a conversation. He or she can follow and reinforce what others say. That leader can also ask questions and help vet ideas under discussion by being an opposer, as the model suggests. And then a leader also has an opportunity to observe his or her team at work, to bystand, if you will, and to observe the work of a team as it's tackling a problem or dealing with an issue. So anyway, the four-player model consists of these four stances that leaders can take in leading teams. They can be movers, opposers, bystanders, or followers. And in essence, what this is, it's a way to facilitate effective team decision-making by playing different leadership roles at different times in conversations. The mover role is what we normally associate with good leadership. Okay, that's the leader who's in charge, who leads from the front of the room, who sets the agenda and, you know, uh, sets the priorities and so forth and so on. Well, that's just one role that a good leader can play. Leaders also have to be able to do other things. They need to be able to hear and listen and affirm what others say in a group or team discussion. That's the follower role. They need to be able to ask good questions in order to really have robust conversation about decisions to be taken. That's the opposer role. And the bystander role is the role where a leader is able to look at his or her team and say, geez, we do this really well. We need to get better at doing this or we need to get back to the agenda at hand. So in essence, this four-player model is a facilitation framework that any leader can use, whether it's to tackle everyday business, technical challenges, problem solving, or to do brainstorming, or to come to quick decisions about things, or, or to do rapid ideation, you know, uh, idea brainstorming, that kind of thing. So I introduced this model to my Coachee, who had tended to be the mover in most conversations, so he did most of the talking in most meetings, and so no one else felt heard. So he worked on being more of a follower and a bystander, listening to what other people said, and then incorporating that into his leadership of the team. So here's an example of how it worked in his case. So 
one of the things that came out of the 360 assessment I did with him was that junior team members didn't feel heard very often by my coachee. So because they just heard they were, they were never called on and they felt their voice was not acknowledged or even valued in the conversation. So my coachee learned to set the table for conversation, be the mover, and then to step back and let others lead the discussion or have a full-throated conversation about something. And I encouraged my coachee, and he took to this with great heart. He said, look for ways to reinforce what your junior team members say. In essence, follow them, reinforce what they say. Well, he started doing this, and we had a big team retreat where he played with these various stances. And what he found was that people began to feel heard. They began to feel more valued. They began to feel like their point of view about something really mattered. And it was an example of leadership courage for my coachee because he had to really retrain himself about what it meant to be a leader. And it required agility, leadership agility, and learning agility to do so. Well, and what I love about that story is, first off, you had a client who was open to doing things differently in the future, right? Yes. If, if he had said, oh, this feedback is baloney, or they're all wrong, or they're only mad at me, or whatever, yes. you know, you would not have had, I think, the success that you had in working with him, right? His mind and his mentality was all around higher self-awareness and influencing the future differently than the past. Yes. And, you know, I think, again, a leader's ability to take in new data and to transform themselves. You know, we always hope that coaching is going to be transformative, right? When we work with people and it it, mm-hmm. it, it isn't always the case. But when somebody has a real intellectual and or emotional aha as the result of being in a role that really stretches them or after getting feedback that isn't maybe universally positive, the leader who can step into that space and sort of find their way going forward. We talk about self-transformation. It's so important nowadays. We need leaders. Look at what we're dealing with with this pandemic and with the racial crisis. It's going to require leaders who can show up in new ways, right? With their workforces, with their organizations, with their communities. And we're already seeing that. I'm working with a number of executives right now who are having to learn new ways of leadership when it's all virtual and they're doing it under pandemic conditions. I'm happy to say these these folks are stepping up to that and they they relish the challenge actually of it. And for this particular client, for him to make the progress that he made, and I'm not looking for specifics, Rick, but I presume he had to practice, right? This wasn't just like flicking a switch and suddenly at the next meeting, he was Mr. Mover you know, of the month and doing a fantastic job that it took a while for his team to experience a different type of leader and also for what he was attempting to do to start getting its feet on the ground. Oh, absolutely. And this stuff doesn't happen overnight, but it begins with mindful intention right? Awareness of, hey, I need to change this. And so one of the things that we did in the 360 was I asked people, what would you like to see your boss start doing and stop doing or do more of or do less of? And so his willingness, you know, he really took time to digest the data. And then we had a number of sessions about it. We developed some action steps he could take. And out of that came his suggestion that he use an upcoming team retreat as a kind of 
laboratory for experimenting with how to show up differently as a leader. And so we did a little bit of role playing. We talked about what he wanted to get out of this experience. We talked about some of the personalities in the room whom he wanted to bring forward and, and groom for more significant levels of leadership. So we came up with a game plan that he was actually then able to use in this uh, three-day retreat. And I attended the retreat with him. I sat at the back of the room and we talked periodically throughout the three days about what was happening. So I was observing him in this session. And to his credit, he introduced me to his team as his coach. And he said, I'm working on the following things. And that in itself took courage to say, hey, I'm working on being more inclusive. I'm working on listening better. You guys help me, okay? And that in itself helped to build some new social capital within his team. Well, I think what he's demonstrating there is what some would consider to be a primary leadership behavior, which is vulnerability. It's your ability to stand up in front of a group of people who you manage and say, I'm not perfect. There are areas that I've gotten feedback on that I need to work on. Here's what they are. And all work is based on relationships. I need your help, right? I can't do this alone. So I need your help. And it sounds like he was a fantastic client, Rick. Well, he really was. And I guess another insight I'll share that came out of this for him was he really had to stretch himself in some ways, even though there was a lot of intention and awareness around what he needed to do differently. Well, developing the additional skills and awareness and tools to be that different leader took some time. So one of his big challenges was delegation. So we worked on that actually following the retreat because the retreat was sort of a um, it's an opportunity to do some strategic planning going forward. And he had to learn how to let go of control over everything. And because he had been a subject matter expert and in some respects an individual contributor in earlier jobs, that was very tough for him. But again, he did stretch and he met that and he found, you know, I got some really great people working here. I I need to let them carry some of the water and empower them to do so. Wow. Well, he sounds like it was a fantastic experience for you. Rick, thank you for sharing that story. My pleasure. And thank you for being a guest on our podcast today. I'm sure there are a number of people who would love to reach out to you to talk a little bit more about that story or about the work that you're doing. What ways can people connect with you, Rick? Well, people are most welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm all over LinkedIn. I really like LinkedIn. It's the way I stay in touch with colleagues and others in the business community. They're also welcome to reach me at my uh, email address, which is huntingtonnsg at gmail.com. So that's, again, huntingtonnsg at gmail.com. And that stands for Huntington North Star Group. Uh, again, HuntingtonNSG at gmail.com. Terrific. Well, Rick, thank you again so much for finding time to be on our podcast today. And it was great speaking with you. Great talking to you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore Being Brave at Work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, we are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.